0: This passage is from John 12 12 to 19. I'll give you a moment there to turn to that in your Bibles if you have one, and you can also find the passage in the in the bulletin. John chapter 12 verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when This is God's word.
1: Thank you, Reese. Um, And just a reminder to you that uh, if there's enough time, and I suspect there will be enough time. Uh, we'll do a, a little short question and answer time at the end of the, the message. And if you wanna ask a question, just keep that in your mind that you can ask questions at the end. So uh, maybe write them down or, or whatever. And uh, if you don't want to raise your hand and ask, you can text me your question. I'll have my phone here and then you can do it anonymously. And some people would prefer that, so. I should have mentioned earlier that this is Palm Sunday. Uh, That's why you're hearing us sing, and that's why you are singing songs about Jesus as the king, because this is the Sunday that marks what's called Passion Week. Passion Week describes the week uh, leading up to Jesus' death and resurrection, and it all begins with Jesus riding into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey, and that's what we're going to be discussing uh, this morning together, but let me introduce things this way. There's a there's an interesting phenomenon happening in North American North American politics lately. If you go back to 2008, you will remember that uh, a young, untested, almost unknown, really senator from Illinois became president of the United States, Barack Obama. That was Uh, under the hope and change sort of theme, right? Then, not too long after that, in Canada, we had our own sort of young, untested uh, member of parliament, not unknown so much because of his famous name, uh, sweep to power as well. That was Justin Trudeau. And then, recently, we've had a not-so-young, certainly untested more notorious than known uh, individual, Donald Trump, become president of the United States. And each and every one of these candidates sort of uh, promised their country that that they would be able to unite everyone in a way that no leader had been able to up until now, and they would usher in sort of this utopian uh, future that none of the other leaders had been able to provide. And of course, people bought into it. People bought into the hype, so to speak, or bought into the, the message, or bought into the, the vision, whatever you want to call it. And of course, they, they came into power. And, and everybody does this, okay? Liberals and conservatives do this. Republicans, Democrats do this. Remember, Obama was a the darling of the left, and Trump is the was or is the darling of the right. So everybody's doing this, looking to some kind of leader who is going to do what no leaders in the past have been able to do. This even happened actually recently in a re- religious world with the uh, election of Pope Francis. There are many people who looked to him and said, now the Catholic Church is going to be reformed. This is going to be a new golden age for the Catholic religion. Why does this keep happening to us? It's not just our age that does this, okay? We do it in the democratic age, but people have done this in in ages past, probably as long as there's been civilization. The reason we do this is because we know deep in our souls the value of good leadership, We know that good leadership leads to flourishing of all of us. If we have good leaders in charge of us, things go well for all of us. And and deep within our hearts, human beings long, long for good leadership. And so we're always on the lookout for it. But here's the thing. All these leaders of the past, all these leaders of the present, even the greatest of leaders in history, people would put people like uh, Abraham Lincoln, In that that category, some would argue Napoleon Bonaparte should go into that category. Uh, in In a more modern era, Franklin Roosevelt and Winston Churchill are considered truly great leaders in history. Even the greatest of leaders in our history, scripture would say, are just appetizers. You know what an appetizer is? App's. Yeah, you go out, go to the restaurant, get some appies. I I learned that recently. People call them appies. Okay, whatever. Anyhow, uh, you go to the restaurant, you get some appetizers. What do appetizers do? It's a little bit of food that you take that actually inflames your hunger, right? Because it doesn't satisfy. It's not enough to satisfy. So you eat it, and you're like, ooh, that tastes good. I want more, right? Um, Scripture says that each... Of the great leaders that we have known in history is actually an appetizer. What they do is is they inflame in us that longing for the leader that we oh so desperately want. And that leader, scripture says, is Jesus Christ. He's that leader. Now you say, oh, come on, is that really true? Well, look, a common theme throughout the great literature of history is in fiction is these tremendous leaders who are beyond what our human leaders have been. Odysseus in the Greek myths, or Beowulf. Beowulf, you know who Beowulf is? He was a a Middle English, no, you don't know who Beowulf is, that's fine. Uh, King Arthur, right? Um, Lancelot. How about uh, Aragorn from Lord of the Rings? I I, uh, I love Aragorn from Lord of the Rings, okay? So I got that's why, in a super geek fashion, I have two quotes from the Lord of the Rings on the, on the front of your bulletin. I'm going to read the second one to you. So this is from, I should be reading this at the end of the sermon, but I, I just can't wait. It's so good. So I want to read it to you now. This is at the end of the third book of the trilogy. And if many of you, if you haven't read the books, you probably saw the movies, even if you didn't really like Lord of the Rings, it's a cultural phenomenon, so you kind of had to, right? At the end of the movies and at the end of the books, finally Aragorn is revealed as the king that all of Middle-earth has been waiting for, and Faramir actually uh, announces his arrival in uh, in the city, he says, "Men of Gondor, see now the steward of this realm. Behold, one has come to claim the kingship again at last. He is Aragorn, son of Arathorn, chieftain of the Dunedain of Arnor, captain of the host of the West, bearer of the Star of the North, wielder of the sword reforged, victorious in battle, whose hands bring healing." The Elfstone, Elisar of the line of Valandil. You don't even know what any of that means, but you don't care, right? Because it sounds awesome. <laughs> Isildur's son, Elendil's son of Numenor, shall he be king and enter into the city and dwell there? And all the host and all the people cried yea with one voice. Hear what it says, you know. He's He's the bearer of the star of the north. He's the wielder of the sword who is victorious in battle, but he also brings healing in his hands. What's happening is there's this description of a king, of a leader, who marries, who fuses these perfections of character in a way that no human being ever really could, right? Well, Tolkien will tell you. He got that from the Bible. See, this is Jesus. What what is true kingliness? Kingliness. What is true kingliness, true greatness in leadership? In all the tales of old, like we just read about Aragorn and other tales, um, there's this combination of characters, right? This king, this leader, he is fierce, and he is brave. He is strong. He is mighty in battle. He, he He leads the charge in the face of a fearsome enemy, and he shows courage. He's like Braveheart, right? If you saw that movie. They may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. And then he turns and charges, and everybody, oh, they all go with him because they want to follow him because he is so awesome, <laughs> right? They are, they are incorruptible, you know, in their character. You can't buy their favor. They can't be swayed. They're magisterial and confident They command respect, and they do it without any hint of pride or arrogance, right? So that's on the one side, you've got that. But then on the other side, they're so tender. They're gentle. They're patient. They weep in the face of sorrow. They get, their eyes flash with anger at injustice. And they are tender toward the lowly and they are sensitive toward the weak. They sweep little ones up in their arms and they are playful and they are joyful and there is a glint of, 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 of impishness in their eyes. They are, they are full of laughter. And they take such deep, profound interest in all of their subjects, regardless of their station. We've never seen, we've never seen a leader that marries that kind of character in one person, right? We, we've seen, frankly, we've seen mostly tyrants, right? That's why we've gotten rid of kings. We've seen mostly figures like Bashar al-Assad, who gasses his own people for the sake of staying in power. And we say, we need to remove these tyrants from uh, uh, over us because they oppress us. But listen to what John Piper says. This is the first quote on uh, the front of your bulletin. If there could be a king who is not limited in his wisdom and power and goodness and love for his subjects, then monarchy would be the best of all governments. If such a ruler could ever rise in the world with no weakness, no folly, no sin, then no wise and humble person would ever want democracy again. The question is not whether God broke into the universe as a king. He did. The question is, what kind of king is he? What difference would his kingship make for you? Well, in Jesus Christ, we see this union, okay, of perfections. We see both his highness and his lowness. In this text, in fact, we see it. And and having... My hope is, is that as we unpack this, and as you see his highness, and as you see his lowness in his nature, and in his character, that you will see that he also creates a kingliness, a greatness in you too, through who he is. So that's what we're going to do. You can follow along with with the back of of your bulletin, if you like, Um, and uh, you'll see the outline there, so let's go to work. Okay, first of all, we're going to talk about Jesus's... Lowness, his meekness. Here is a crowd that has come out to meet Jesus, right? Uh, Some of them uh, are are people who have seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. And they are coming with him from Bethany up to Jerusalem. Others have heard that Jesus actually raised Lazarus from the dead. They're coming out of Jerusalem to meet him. These groups are meeting. They form a great crowd, and they are looking to, to... Bring Jesus into the city. And what they do is, is they cry out, it says, Hosanna. This is verse 13. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Hosanna, they cry it out over and over again. What Hosanna means, literally, is bring salvation now. That's what it means, okay? Bring salvation or give salvation salvation now. And so these people, as they saw Jesus coming into the city, they were assuming that what Jesus had come to do was finally bring a freedom that they had been longing for for ages. You see, the people of Israel were being ruled by an outside power. This was the nation of Rome, And they were being ruled by the Roman Empire, and they had been longing to finally throw off the shackles of their oppression and be freed and return to the self-rule that they once knew under the great King David. And so they saw Jesus coming in, they said, Hosanna, bring bring salvation now. You're finally the one who's going to take the capital. You know, in all the great wars, right? If you take the capital, you win the war, right? And so they were expecting Jesus to do do that, right? Right? But how does Jesus enter the city? He enters on a donkey. And he planned that because he wanted to fulfill a prophecy that was already made by the prophet Zechariah many, many years ago. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation. Gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on a foal of a donkey. And so the people heard having salvation and they thought, Jesus is coming to bring that. He's going to bring salvation to us. And the problem was, is that he was riding a donkey. See, what they were expecting, would he, if you're going to, if a king is going to ride into a city and bring about revolution and victory and conquer, he would ride a war horse, right? He would ride a stallion. But Jesus is riding a donkey instead. And that's not, that's meant for a purpose as well. Ancient kings would do that when they were bringing peace. It was a symbol of them bringing peace. They would ride in on a donkey, and that's what Jesus does. He says, I've come to bring peace, not war. But listen, this is the point. The point is this. If I come and bring political freedom for you, If I come to free you from political oppression, and that's all I do, you will still be living under the weight of tremendous personal oppression because you are are under condemnation for your sin. The oppression that comes from judgment, that comes from guilt for sin, that comes from the the judgment of hell that awaits, the, the power of the devil, all of that oppression, I have come to conquer them. I have come to deal with them. And if I don't deal with them, frankly, who cares if I throw Rome off of you for now? Now, I can't go, I can't go deep into this today, uh, but let me make something very, very clear this morning. Jesus did not come primarily to free you from your addiction to substance abuse or to heal your scars from the home that you grew up in, or to grant you higher self-esteem, or to take away your anxiety, or to help you cope with your mental illness, or to make you more able to forgive people yes jesus came to do all those things don't misunderstand what i'm saying he came to do all those things but all those things come only out of they flow out of his primary mission jesus primary mission was to free you from condemnation everything else flows from that if you're here this morning and you're not a believer listen People come to Christianity for all kinds of reasons. And usually it's because something in their life is screwed up. Maybe they are struggling with an addiction. Maybe they've had a marriage fall apart. Maybe one of their kids... uh, has done self-harm and they don't know how to cope. Maybe their relationships with their siblings are ruined because there's infighting and anger and they're like, I can't deal with this anymore and I need to find, I got to find a better way to live. The way I'm living sucks. All it's doing is screwing me up. I got to find a better way to live. The Christians that I know seem pretty stable for the most part and so at least I'll give it a try and that's okay. If that's how you find Jesus attractive in the first place, that's fine, but listen, understand something, friend. that's not what Jesus has primarily come to do. Not until you realize that Jesus has primarily come to take away your sin, to take away the punishment that you deserve for your sin, to free you from guilt, to free you from the fear of death, to free you from the shackles and bondages that the, that the evil one has you under, you will not fully understand who Jesus is and what he came to do. I just want to make sure that if, if, if I'm any kind of salesman and that makes me nervous to use that kind of language but if I'm any kind of salesman I want to make sure that you understand that I'm selling you in the gospel. I'm, you need to know what's being sold to you. And if you are a Christian you also need to really be reminded of this. That that's primarily what Jesus Christ, that's primarily what Good Friday is about. He came to reconcile us to God. We were separated from God because of our sin and he came to bridge that divide by, by dying in our place. And listen, Grace Valley Church, my prayer is is that we will be a church that seeks to relieve people suffering in this town, that seeks to be open to all people to, who, who can't find a place where they belong. I was, at, I was at a conference all day yesterday about orphan care ministry and, and it is heavy on my heart to see us be a church that takes seriously the Bible's call to love, the orphans and the most vulnerable yes yes and amen to all that but friends our purpose first and foremost has to be to declare this news that jesus is declaring to these people i put my head on the chopping block for you you know when you watch a movie and there's always a scene some sort of scene in any good movie somebody's sacrificing themselves for someone else right because it gets us you know there's a big transport truck barreling down the highway and there's this poor kid sitting there doesn't realize it's coming and someone comes in and and pushes the kid away and boom takes the hit for him well in the grandest most cosmic sense that's what Jesus did for us Isaiah says, as it prophesies the coming of Jesus, it says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. He was hit by the transport truck of God's justice on our sin, on our behalf. You know, in verse 16, it says this, um, At first, the disciples did not understand all this. And the reason they didn't understand all this was because it says, they didn't understand all this, only after Jesus was glorified did they realize these things had been written about him and that they, had to be, that they had done these things to him. Now, it says only after he was glorified. In the Gospel of John, this term, Jesus being glorified, always, always, always refers, refers actually to Jesus' crucifixion, that that is the moment in which he was glorified, when he was crucified. And it's only in that darkest moment that, that of Jesus' absolute weakness, where he seems to be losing, that, that he is actually winning, that his strength is, is actually being displayed, that his true kingship and the nature of his kingship is being shown to us. See, Jesus came to be the servant king. Think of that. Like, imagine if the Queen of England came over to your house, and it was tea time, and she said, No, 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 dear, you Sit it's all right, I've got this. And up she went, and off to the kitchen, she toddled, and she starts making you tea. You'd be like, no, no, you're the queen of England, you sit, let me serve you, right? And that's what Jesus did on a cosmic scale, like I said, for you and for me. He is the servant king. His glory was hidden. That's why we've got the first quote from Lord of the Rings. This is in The Fellowship of the Ring. This is the first of the three books. And this is where Aragorn is being described. We don't really know how great he is yet. And so it says, all that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. From the ashes of fire shall be woken. A light from the shadows shall spring. Renewed shall be the blade that was broken. The crownless again shall be king. Jesus in his earthly ministry, and in his life and death, he, his glory was masked. But already even here, already even here, in this triumphal entry, entry his glory is, is, the mask is pulled back just a bit, the veil is removed just a little bit, his, his highness, his majesty is on display for us. It says that the people were waving palm branches, Interesting. Why were they waving these palm branches? Well, on one level, it's very simple. They were waving palm branches because that was the version, that was the ancient version of the ticker-tape parade. You know, we don't have. If you've seen pictures of World War II at the end of World War II, when soldiers are streaming into cities and liberating European cities, you'll see like confetti being thrown and streamers and all that kind of stuff, right? And 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 they're celebrating the coming of the liberation. Well, in ancient days, they didn't have all that stuff, so they just went over to a tree, cut the leaves off, and started waving them. It was their version of the ticker tape parade. But for Jesus, there was a deeper symbolism because the palm branches also actually were a prophecy. They prophesied a future waving. And the Old Testament does this too. In Psalm 96, verses 11 through 13, it says this. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest, then, sorry, all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. Hear that? Trees will sing for joy? They will sing before the Lord for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. And then listen to Isaiah 55 verse 12. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace, and the mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Hmm. You know, one day those palms will be waving again, but they'll still be on the tree. See, this prophecy, this, this passage is prophesying the fact that, that next time, the next time Jesus returns and enters into the city, everything will bloom. Everything will have the, the latent potential in it will return. You know, when Lion the Witch in the wardrobe, when Aslan enters, enters Narnia, winters, the spell of winter is broken, and so, and so the, the snow begins to melt and everything is starting to bloom. Well, the promise of the gospel is is that at Jesus' return, and this is what he's pointing to when he enters the city, when I come back, everything is going to bloom and and explode with the potential that it is always meant to have, including you. Now stick with me here. Let me ask you a question. Do you sense in yourself Do you ever sense inside yourself a greatness that just, for some reason, is untapped? Sometimes maybe you feel it and you say, "Well, if I mean, and this is something Christians often have a problem with. They're, oh, I shouldn't think that. That's pride. That's arrogance." No, no, no. Do you sense in yourself that there's an ability, a quality? a potential in you that sort of has lying, is lying dormant, you can, you can feel it, but you can't quite tap into it. You can't quite unlock it. You can't quite connect it. You think to yourself, if I just X, I could be awesome. Right? You know, the classic joke is the guy who says, it wasn't for my bum knee, I'd made it to, I would have made it to the NHL. Right? but I took that one hit in junior and it was all over. Or, okay, triple A. No, okay, it was single A. Fine, it was house league. But I'm telling you what I could have been. Do you have an if I just X, oh, what I could be? Maybe it's something in your brain that doesn't work the way it's quite supposed to. Maybe it's something in your body that doesn't work quite the way it's supposed to. Maybe it's something in your upbringing that didn't happen quite the way it's supposed to. And you think, if I just had, something could be different. It's not that weird, okay? If you feel that, it's not that weird. You know who Tony Robbins is? Tony Robbins. People spend 5,000 bucks. They plunk down $5,000 to spend a week with Tony Robbins, who promises to unleash the power within. Do you think all those people are just suckers? No, there's something in us that the Bible knows. See, we have all sinned, says Romans 3. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're, we're not who we're supposed to be. And you know that. You're not everything you could be. And you know that. You are made for a glory that you can't even really describe. And Christ's highness means, friends, that as a king who is ultimately wise, who has, who, who, who has, has a reign that is ultimately good, that, that you will be under his kingship when he returns. You will be everything that you were meant to be. You will finally be freed from that addictive personality that gets you into trouble all the time, or maybe that mental illness that that makes it so that you can't work all the time, or maybe that physical disability that means you can't play with your kids all the time. Whatever it is that's standing in the way of your greatness, that thing will be removed. You will become who you were always meant to be, and it will blow your mind. Look, yesterday, what happened to the Leafs? They made the playoffs, right? At the beginning of the season, nobody thought the Leafs were going to make the playoffs. Nobody. Everybody was like, great young bunch of kids, glad they got Babcock, you know, a lot to learn. There's gonna, he's going to, you know, really whip them into shape. Well, Babcock is such a great manager. He whipped them into shape far beyond they ever thought what they would be. Austin Matthews scoring is scoring goals way beyond what anybody thought he would score because of the leadership, Okay? Well, you're going to get that. He's going to guide you into all that you were meant to be. And you know what? The rest of the universe too. You ever been to a restaurant and you're like, man, this place, it used to be a lot better than it is now. It's kind of starting to become a bit of a dump. And then it closes down and then a sign says, under new management, coming soon. And six months later, you anticipate the joints opening up again, and you walk in there, and there's fresh paint and new flooring and new tables, and the menu is changed, and the food is fantastic, and you go, wow, this is awesome. The king says, under new management, when I return, everything will be spring. Everything will bloom with its potential, with its glory, with its wonder. Now you say, that is too good to be true. Yep, it is. You look around you and all you see is you see decay everywhere, right? You see, uh, you you watch the news and you just see decay everywhere. You see the economy falling apart. You see nationalities falling apart. You see uh, uh, countries falling apart. You look at your own body and you see you're falling apart. Your beauty's fading your strength is fading. Your hearing's going. Your hairline's gone. You see it everywhere. And yet you long and you pine for a better world all the time. We're the only critters on earth that pine for a better world. Everybody else is just looking for lunch today. We want a better world because we know we were made for a better world. Last thing, final point. Christ's kingliness creates kingliness in us. If you would believe in him, if you would take this story, this promise that I've been trying to encourage you to to enter into, if you would take that into your heart and you would believe it with all your heart, that greatness, that greatness, he begins to create in you even now here. Because you know, in the presence of greatness, you become great. Great. It just happens. The greatness that is in you is, is magnified simply because of the presence of being in greatness. I'll give you one story. Uh, it's from the 1980s. How many of you still remember Marty McSorley? Hockey player, right? Played for the Edmonton Oilers with Wayne Gretzky. The story goes that one year, I don't know which year, I, and I'll be, on, I'll be honest, it might be apocryphal. Maybe it's just a great story. Who cares? Let's just use it. Uh, the story goes that he was... He was on the bench during uh, the um, Stanley Cup final, and they were losing. So the Edmonton Oilers were losing, and it looked like they were going to lose the Stanley Cup, and Marty McSorley was sitting on the bench beside a rookie, and the rookie looked worried. He's like, I don't know, man. Are we going to be able to pull this off? Is it going to be a possible? Like, what are our chances here? And Marty McSorley turned to the, to the rookie, and he said, don't worry, kid. We'll be fine. We've got Wayne. You hear that? We've got Wayne, the great one. Because they were with Wayne Gretzky, Marty McSorley just knew they couldn't lose. They just couldn't lose because they had him, and he would find a way, and sure enough, they did. And, you know, as someone who has not played on any kind of high, super high-level sports, I've played soccer for many years, and I've played occasionally with some phenomenal players, and I tell you, I tell you, It's true. Just when they step on the field, your game, it just goes up. It just goes up. Now, my argument is this you have a new confidence, you have a new boldness, you have a new bigness of heart to become like what you emulate. And Jesus is who we emulated. So he's the one we will become like, right? Okay, what does that mean? It means you'll become a great servant. That's what it means. You'll serve like he did in big ways. You'll make sacrifices to serve your king and to serve your fellow man, if I can put it that way, in ways that you never thought possible. No way. I can tell you, man, if it wasn't for this vision, I would not have ever planted a church because I didn't think that I was capable of that. I, I was too afraid, I, I'm too weak, we're too small, we're too insecure. I was, I still am. <laughs> and those of us who have adopted children who are not our own or who have entered into the fostering world, I met so many of them yesterday, we were too weak, we were too small, we were too afraid to dare do that on our own. But because of this vision, we, we took steps that, that terrified us and yet invigorated us. Because of the king. With him, nothing is impossible. Now, listen. I would love to just make a really hard pitch and turn you all into foster parents, but that's not fair. That's not everybody's calling, okay? I'm like really jacked about it right now because I love it. It hurts like the blazes, but nothing, I mean... For our family, it has been so good. So there's my pitch for that. I'm not going to just hammer on it, because it's not everybody's calling. But like what our speaker said yesterday, you, you don't have to do everything, but everybody can do something. So we'll talk about that another time. Let me just close with a story, the story of the donkey. Have you heard this story before? This is the story of the Palm Sunday donkey. All right, this is the donkey that Jesus rode in to Jerusalem on, Okay. He wakes up the next day. Now imagine being that donkey. People are waving the palm branches at you, and this is amazing. Like, you're the man. You're the donkey. And he wakes up the next day after a pretty pa- awesome Palm Sunday, and he thought, man, that was great. People just loved me. I'm going to go into town, and I'm going to show myself to everybody. But as he trots into town, he sees that, that nobody really noticed him. I mean, he's just a donkey after all. And so he went to the well where they were drawing water, and the people there ignored him. "'Throw down your garments,' he said. "'Don't you know who I am?' he said crossly. And they looked at him in amazement, and some of them slapped him on the rump and told him to move and get out of there. Miserable evens, he thought. I'll go to the market where the good people are. They'll remember me. Same thing happened. "'The palm branches, where are the palm branches?' he shouted." Yesterday, you threw down palm branches for me. But he was totally ignored and therefore totally devastated. So he goes home in tears. He's moping at home and his mother sees him. And he explains to her, I went into town today and nobody paid attention. They abused me and they ignored me. Foolish child, she said gently. Don't you realize that without Jesus, you're just an ordinary donkey? Let's pray. Father, we want to be extraordinary for you, which means we want to serve like our Savior did. Give us a vision of his greatness and his humility so that we might be like him, humble and doing great things in your kingdom. In his name we pray, amen.